In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oratio, meditatio, tentatio. Prayer, meditation, and temptation or affliction. These three form the life of a theologian. And again, by theologian, we are not simply speaking about those who study theology, but rather each and every Christian in their pursuit of the knowledge of the ways of God. Last week, we reflected on the first aspect of the life of a theologian, oratio, prayer. And tonight, we will reflect on meditatio, meditation. The word meditation likely brings to mind images of stillness, silence, and contemplation. And while these three images are all fine and good for such study, after all, in our world today, when is the last time that we've sat there in silence and contemplated? When's the last time any of us have driven anywhere and not had the radio on? We fill our ears with the radio, podcasts, television, and the like. When is the last time we have slowed down? Maybe just read a few verses of scripture, maybe just one psalm, and not sped through our allotted reading for the day. This is a lost art form in our day and age, and it is certainly worthy to practice such an art form once more. And while this is worthy, this isn't what we are speaking of tonight. Meditation of emptying our minds in the Eastern mindset to achieve some form of a trance is in stark contrast to the meditatio of a theologian. The meditatio of a theologian is not to empty oneself, but to fill our minds, our hearts, and our souls with the word of God. This filling of the heart, mind, and soul with the word of God can take on many different forms. And in tonight's reading from Psalm 119, we get quite a few patterns of how we are to meditate on the word of God. We can't cover all of them, so I've only selected just a few. If you have time later on or in the next few days, I'd encourage you, maybe slowly read through Psalm 119. It may take a little bit, but sit there and meditate on the many different ways that we can fill our hearts, our minds, and our souls with the word of God. But the first pattern that the psalmist lays out is in verse 7. When he says, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your just and righteous decrees. The meditation of a theologian is one of learning. One is not born with a complete knowledge of scripture. A child must be taught. The proverb goes, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. But this learning of scripture is not the sole duty of the church. It is to be done by fathers, by mothers, and by those around you. In fact, in our small catechism, before each of the chief parts, we read, as the head of the family should teach it 
in a simple way to his household. Catechesis begins in the home with the head of the household, and then it is nurtured by the church throughout our life. The second pattern of meditation is in verse 9. By guarding it according to your word, the psalmist writes. Meditation of a theologian is one of guarding. For Satan has and continue will, will continue to throw many flaming darts at you as you walk that narrow path that leads to eternal life. To be on guard is to be well prepared, well equipped for that battle that lays ahead. That learning of scripture to be on guard does not end once we are confirmed. It's not as though we reach confirmation and then we are well equipped for the rest of our lives. Even whenever you are ordained in the office of holy ministry, learning does not stop. Even for a learned theologian such as Martin Luther, learning did not stop, for he wrote, Yet I cannot master the catechism as I wish, but I must remain a child and pupil of the catechism, and am glad to remain so. If Luther thought that, I think we have a lot more learning to do for ourselves. Confirmation is not the graduation from catechesis. Rather, the teaching of Scripture must continue to be nurtured all throughout our lives. It must be repeated over and over again. Lest we be so proud and arrogant to think that we have all the knowledge that Scripture has for us. In a matter of days, we will hear the account of the birth of our Savior, and we will be tempted to hear the words, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, and then our minds may begin to drift. After all, we've heard that story countless times. And our minds may be tempted to begin to drift until we hear, this is the gospel of the Lord. Or we may begin to confess the Apostles' Creed and say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And then our minds may begin to drift until we say, and the life everlasting, amen. Why do we repeat such things? Why do we have a lectionary that gives to us the same 150 or so readings year after year after year? Why do we have a liturgy that is repeated week after week. Contrary to what many mainline churches may teach, repetition does not lead to boredom. Rather, repetition prepares us and equips us for battle. How can a football team expect to win a game if they haven't run through their plays time and time again? Or soldiers expect a victory if they haven't run through those maneuvers time and time again. To repeat is to be on guard, and to be on guard is to be well equipped. To repeat is to return, and to return often. To read, reread, and reread once more. For there is always more answers or more questions to be answered from Scripture and more to be mined 
from the depths of God's word. The third pattern is in verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The meditation of a theologian is one of storing in our hearts. It's far beyond some form of intellectual exercise. For the psalmist didn't write, I have stored up your word in my mind. But I have stored up your word in my heart. As Mary pondered the news that the shepherds had to give to her, she pondered them in her heart. So too must we store up in our hearts that cherished word of God. Guard it and keep it as we would any kind of treasure. For it is indeed a great and precious treasure that our Lord has revealed to us who he is. And he is the one who has created us, created all the earth. That he is the one who has come in the flesh, in the babe, in a manger, to accomplish our salvation by his cross. That he continues to purify us and sanctify our hearts and our minds with his many and various gifts. What a profound and blessed treasure it is that our Lord has not only recorded such things, but he has given it to us, that we may read it, reread it, speak of it often, teach it to our children, speak it to those around us. And in so doing, we store it in our hearts. But storing it in our hearts also serves another function, as you see in verse 11, that I might not sin against you. Now, we're obviously not saying that if we store it up in our hearts, we'll never sin again. We know ourselves too well for that. But to store God's word in our hearts more and more, to fill our hearts more and more with his word, is to leave less and less room for sin to dwell within us. How easily would it be for sin to dwell in a heart that is void of the knowledge of the Lord's commandments. How easily would it be for Satan to tempt us and to lead us in despair of our sin if our hearts are void of the gracious words of our Lord that we have victory and salvation won for us on Calvary. The fourth and final pattern is in verse 16. I will not forget your word. The meditation of a theologian is one of remembering God's word. And this is, in fact, the culmination of all those previous patterns of learning, of guarding, of storing in our hearts. To do all of these serves us to remember God's word. Remembering allows us to speak that word to those around us, whether that be in evangelism or in someone's time of despair. Remembering God's word, inwardly digesting it, allows us to keep it on guard and be ready for those many temptations and afflictions that Satan would send our way. And finally, when remembering God's word, 
we are well prepared for that final hour when our last hour should come. For Satan would love nothing more than to lead us to fear death and to doubt the promises of God. But to have those promises of God remembered and dwelling within our hearts, whenever our last hour comes, we can look Satan square in the eyes and scoff. For there is no fear of death. There is only life and salvation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.